Welcome to We're All Mad Here, a podcast aimed at dismantling the stigma surrounding mental health conditions, opening a discussion, and facilitating understanding one story at a time. I'm joined today by Sinead and Michael, who are joining me to speak about their concepts about men's mental health. Sinead is a part-time waitress, student, and carer. She spends her spare time advocating for mental health and suicide prevention, raising awareness wherever she can. After her own journey with depression and anxiety and losing her cousin to suicide, she created the ACM project, Silence Kills. This is a men's mental health awareness campaign to get men talking about what really matters, sharing stories of hope, healing and recovery. Michael is a 26-year-old writer and musician who suffers from depression and generalized anxiety. He's currently writing a book about his family and is attempting to make it funny. You can find his work at www.howtokeepstill.com. Enjoy. Welcome, Sinead and Michael. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. So, Sinead, you've designed a campaign for men's mental health after losing your cousin to suicide. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your campaign and why you chose to create it? I've always been an advocate for mental health awareness in general. I've had my own experience of mental illness for many years since I was a child. Um, I've lived with depression and anxiety. Um, Unlike a lot of people, I stayed quite silent about those feelings and um, I also lost my cousin to suicide. Of course, as suicide is, there's there's not really any understanding as to why that that happened um, or why he made that decision. I think my um, my silence of my own journey made me feel quite guilty about that. In case we were both going through the same thing, I kind of it made me realise that ah, oh, if I'd actually spoken about it, maybe he would have just known that I wasn't entirely happy for whatever the reason. I guess I kind of felt like if I had used my voice, I could have maybe helped him in some way. Um, and so I started um, an Instagram page where I wrote about my mental health journey. And then, yeah, and so now I've decided to give back to to my cousin, I guess, um, and made this project in memory of him. So the project's called the ACM Project. It's now a campaign um, that is in the middle of its launch and going really well. Um, with interviews of men sharing their stories. And I've just found that it's it's actually really great for other men to see that who are going through this, this journey themselves. It's really encouraging for them to see stories of people who have been through that darkness and they found the light. And it's something that I kind of wish I had when I was going through that journey to be able to see those things and understand that, you know, I wasn't alone. I was never alone. What barriers do you feel are important to dismantle in order to improve the outcomes associated with men's mental health? I think um, it's really important. Obviously, I'm a woman, but uh, I you know, support men as much as I can. And I think it's really important that we break down the stigma of men being these strong, heroic people that we need them to be. Um, because for as long as we tell men that they need to be strong and, and we need them to man up, it actually it actually stops them from talking and coming forward um, because those feelings they then feel are not strong feelings that a man shouldn't cry. A man shouldn't be weak. And, and what are our connotations of strength and weakness? You know, they're, they're very jaded. So I think um, it's really important that we break down the barriers of teaching men that they shouldn't have those emotions and they shouldn't feel those things because 
that's why we end up losing men to suicide a lot more than women because of those barriers. Michael, do you agree with what Sinead has said about that? Definitely. I mean, I think in for me, like in recognising that there's other people going through the similar issues and seeing those stories, like it is just such a like saving grace to like take you out of your own experience and go, oh, you know, this is um, a similar, you know, sort of journey. Like I was listening to another podcast um, about mental health and there was a guy who was talking about how he'd had, you know, suffered from depression for decades and it was kind of before the rise of the internet. And so I think it's really beautiful that in many ways we do live in this time in which we actually can share those moments um, I definitely know that if I hadn't have had the ability to to share or to look at other stories, I think I would have felt much more isolated without that. So I think it's incredible mm-hmm. what Sinead's doing. And do you think do you think it's harder for men to talk amongst their peer groups about mental health? Personally, I don't find it difficult to talk among my peer group. Um, I think that I'm very lucky and grateful for the men that are in my friendship circles I've definitely made a like a point of choosing men who are able to communicate and articulate um, any of their uh, problems or issues and it's something that I think when I was younger maybe like 15 or 16 the circles that I ran in that wasn't very present and it was immediately something well not immediately but once I realized that it when I met men who were able to speak in like deeper ways, I was like, okay, these are the people that I have to be around. And so right now, you know, I'm surrounded by incredible men in that way. Like I think that my, my best friend also suffers from depression and we sort of set up a rule like maybe two years ago, where it was just like transparency was the only way that we would like get through the issues that we would face in both of us dealing it and the kind of complications that would come with that. And that has been the best thing that we've possibly done because, you know, sometimes it is also difficult to have a friend who suffers from depression and how you know how to to help. And with us, at least, it was like if we were just clear and to say this is where I'm at or you kind of treated me bad because of this or whatever was the only way to move forward. And like, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Has anyone ever made you feel ashamed of having a mental health issue, either intentionally or unintentionally? I guess when I first started suffering from depression and anxiety, I didn't realize what it was. And so I think I've had a few uh, like partners in the past sort of maybe go down the more you should just kind of move past that attitude. But I really don't think that that was ever an intentional thing um, because I think that they were just trying to navigate uh, how to help and how to be there in the same way that I was trying to navigate my mental health. So I really wouldn't say that I've felt it like extremely uh, like from a single person, but I think that I deal with a lot of internal shame and I think that's kind of the biggest barrier or thing that I need to move on from. Like I know that there's this, I guess Sinead's talked about it a little bit, like, there's this kind of trope in men's health, this like fear of uh, expressing weakness or, or vulnerability. And that's never been something that I particularly aligned with. Like I was always taught as a kid that it took toughness to express vulnerability. And it was actually something that I really 
felt proud about was being a male who was okay with uh, expressing when things weren't necessarily going right and saw it as like a, a kind of core identifying principle in my life. But that when I sort of started to develop anxiety and then from that depression, that shame manifested in a way that kind of, I think, somewhat emotionally neutered my ability to express myself. I just, it wasn't that I necessarily didn't feel comfortable in expressing that to other people. I just would so often chastise myself like repeatedly or relentlessly for feeling weak or not succeeding that that in turn led to the greatest feelings of shame. Do you think that those internalized feelings of shame result from the conditioning of society around masculinity or do you believe they come from something else within you? Uh, I guess I'm not really sure. I think they probably have to do with a large element of or like to do with society because when I imagine if anyone's, you know, in particular has made me feel shame, like it's really not um, a particular person. It's like an amorphous group. So I think if it's that, it's kind of more like it's how society is performing and how I feel as if I should perform and not meeting the sort of like checklists that I've set out for myself and that you know, it's probably to do with the unwritten, you know, rules of what it is to be a man in many ways. Sinead, how do you feel that men's mental health awareness is changing due to perhaps your and other similar campaigns that are out there at the moment? Um, I think it's it's changing drastically. Um, we still have so far to go in terms of mental health awareness in general. Um, we still have a long way to go, but Men's mental health, we're getting there. It's, it's always going to be behind women's mental health because of, of the reasons of men not talking as much. Um, so we're always going to be a little bit behind with men's mental health. But from since I started writing many, many years ago to now, I can see how much we've improved in the awareness. And I think campaigns such as um, Silence Kills and many other um, organisations out there that advocate for men's mental health, I think they really do spread messages of hope, healing and recovery. And those those messages are really powerful um, to men not feeling isolated and not feeling shame. Um, and I think they really help them. I've, I've already seen some great feedback from my own campaign and it's it's great to see. It's it's really rewarding. Um, it's lovely that men can come forward and, you know, say thank you for doing this. Like I needed to see those words. Um, and sometimes that's all it takes, just a few little words to put someone in the right frame of mind and, you know, make them think twice about something they may regret. Michael, from your point of view, I guess from a practical standpoint, are you feeling the positive effects of campaigns like this uh, in your peer group or in groups that you spend time in? Definitely. I mean, I have this really distinct memory of um, a person that I used to play sport with who was always like this very uh, masculine, like physically like gifted sort of guy who when we grew up just became really like tatted up and was this like super blokey dude. And I remember just looking at his Instagram one day and he just posted a photo of himself crying and saying, this is what depression looks like. And that just totally inverting my idea of this particular person. And um, the post went on to say, and I can't actually remember what particular group it was that he was talking about at the time that without um, that support network, he never felt comfortable sharing that online and that it was only through sharing that and, and, and speaking with these people that he like 
just found the resources to get better. I think that is the biggest thing is just, yeah, not mm-hmm. seeing suicide as the answer because it's not. There's so many um, tools you can put in place to get better, but it's very, it's hard to find them by yourself. Mm-hmm. So many of my friends who don't suffer from anxiety are, uh, are becoming more understanding and on a Friday night, if I was feeling really shit and I was supposed to go somewhere and someone would ask me, like, where are you? I'd be like, oh, I'm tired. And that's such a, like, terrible excuse. And that would make, like, the other person, like, feel bad. Like, oh, this dude is just blowing me off or whatever. Um, but it got to the point where I just had to explain, like, actually, I'm feeling incredibly anxious or I'm having a really tough run right now. And just through that process of talking and communicating that to this other person, you know, like, everyone in my life has been accepting of that. And so now I can say, hey, like, I'm actually kind of anxious. I can't come to this party, you know. I just want to watch Survivor in bed. (laughs) And uh, um, I think that's really lovely that it seems like that element of things is becoming, yeah, much more readily accepted. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an amazing online psychology service, and what makes them different is that all you need to do is answer a few questions online to let them know what you're struggling with, and they'll find you a therapist who's specialized and effective in what you need. No running around or making phone calls or Googling. You can go to betterhelp.com slash allmadhere, and you'll even get a discount on your first session. I'd really like to explore some of perhaps the similarities and differences between how men and women cope with difficult emotions, and obviously neither of you can speak for your entire gender, but I'd like to explore the topic anyway and perhaps have a bit of an open discussion. Um, So this is to both of you. What are your typical coping mechanisms when you experience difficult emotional or mental issues? I guess I... I work, I work every day to stay mentally well. Um, I think it's really important that um, people understand you can have depression, anxiety, and although I don't have depression anymore, it's very easy for me to slip back into that depression. Um, so I have to work every single day to keep my mind healthy and, and happy and keep those positive thoughts going. Um, so I meditate as much as I can every day, sometimes twice a day. Um, I do little things. I listen to podcasts that are that are positive, that are influential, that inspire me to do good things, um, that practice gratitude. Um, I really try and focus on things like that. I exercise at, at once a day if I can. I go to the gym, even if it's for half an hour. Um, I try and get those endorphins going because I never used to do that. And I realized when I was in my depression, it was probably such a good thing for me to do. But obviously, you're in that state. It's very hard to... Um, even get out of bed some days, let alone go to the gym. So um, I really try and keep those things going as much as I can because I know once I get back into an unhealthy habit of not doing those things, it's it's going to be really easy for it to, to catch up with me again. Yeah, well, I think mine are quite similar. I always – the phrase that I always return to is I have to set up structures. It's kind of this weird line that I always use and it's about um, these – yeah, positive repeated habits, I guess, and exercise, like Sinead said, is absolutely mm-hmm. one of the biggest things for me. Like more and more and more I'm realizing the relationship between my mental health and my physical health and mm-hmm. I feel so much better when my body feels better and mm-hmm. 
it does feel really difficult to go and get to the gym or to ride your bike or do anything like that that when you just want to stay in bed but mm-hmm. um the more you do it the easier it comes so that's definitely one i think for me another one is being social i'm someone who i actually don't really suffer from social anxiety in i think the classic form but i I love being around people. I feel energized by people. And one of the phrases that I think a friend and I kind of uh, would would speak about would be performing normal. And I think sometimes it's like you can actually, if you can just get yourself into a room of other people, at least for me personally, um, who are just having a laugh and being themselves, like I can kind of take myself out of my own way. And other one is doing things for someone else. Like it, really just like find someone you care about and do a nice thing for them it takes you out of your own shit and there's such a joy in seeing their face you know kind of light up if it's a gift or it's a letter Mm -hmm. of encouragement or something like that and the last one kind of thing is yeah meditation and this um technique that i learned called morning pages which is usually used for writers in creative block i think but it's about waking up in the morning and the first thing you do being that you either write three pages or you write for 15 minutes and i have to have a shower and a coffee first because i'm not a human before i do that (laughs) but you know when you look at technology and then you do it and i think the thing that is for me is that one of the issues that i have in talking about suffering from depression is that i don't necessarily want to like drag other people down is kind of this mindset. It's this like prejudgment that I place that, you know, someone else might not feel that, but it's something that I'm like, I don't like, I don't want to kill the mood. And I even mm-hmm. have found that like in therapy sessions. And I think the beautiful thing about writing is that you actually get this process of externalization that is so vital for everyone. And, you know, like you can get caught in these feedback loops where you think about the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. But if you just get it out, it's almost like you spend 15 mm-hmm. minutes of your day writing this thing out and then it's done and your brain doesn't like keep coming back to it in ways that it might mm-hmm. if you just wake up and go. And because you're just writing, because it's just for yourself, because it isn't a recipient on the end, at least I experience is a lack of judgment in that scenario. I'm not worried about what the page is going to say back at me because it can't say anything. And so it's kind of removed from that, well, that place in which you preempt a negative response. It's just about getting it out and then putting it away and then focusing on the other things in your day. Thank you both for that. Michael, are there any resources that have really helped you when you're struggling with your mental health that you would recommend to other men? Yeah, the biggest one that I have is, um, yeah, I don't know, uh, uh, social networks, finding something that actually you uh, like and then just trying to find a group of people who do it. You know, for me, it can be fitness. It's also about um, music. It's also about, you know, heaps of just different, uh, like, you know, study groups or meditation groups or whatever. Just, um, I think, shared experience in is the biggest resource for me to draw on, for sure. I actually read a book recently speaking about the effects of belonging to communities on depression and it's really amazing the results say basically that the more groups that you belong to uh, they can be even very small small groups like one or two people uh, the greater the improvement in depression symptoms over time Um, so that really falls in line with that. Sinead do you have any resources that you would like to recommend? 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, um, it's it's great to see other stories of hope, healing and recovery. Um, like Michael, I also, um, I write a lot. Um, I write every day as well because I think that's really healthy. So writing's always been really helpful. And I think, you know, we blame social media for a lot of things and for a lot of problems with mental illness. But there's a lot of amazing social media pages that help with mental illness, a lot of pages that help in sharing their journeys and encouraging other people to do the same because so much strength can come from that vulnerability and vulnerability is a terrifying thing but when you see someone else doing it it can it can encourage you to do the same i will put some links to your campaign in the description of the podcast Sinead and i just want to thank you both for being so vulnerable and open and yeah for sharing your thoughts thank you so much for having me yeah thanks for having us Bye. Bye.